How many times has someone in your life told you no? You cannot do that. No, it will not work. I'm venturing to bet that most of us have had this experience at least once. Depending on your demographic, sexual orientation, place in this world we call home. You may or may not have heard this repeatedly. For me, I know I have. How many times have you said, fuck you? I'm gonna do it anyways. Today is just about that. Today we get to chat with someone who has been told no, who has been sitting in spaces that society would have told her don't belong to her, and turns out they do, and she's gonna prove it. Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. The goal with this podcast is to inspire you to think more deeply, consider new perspectives, set fire to negative bias, and rise from those ashes so we can all create a more informed and inclusive world together. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diverse human experiences and topics. Joining me today is Carrie Seacard. Carrie is the founder and owner of Virtual IP Law, where they help businesses turn ideas and brands into valuable assets. In addition to being an experienced attorney and business owner, she is also a race car driver, mom of three, guardian ad litem, and serves on the board of directors for Game Plan Sports. Super pumped to chat with Carrie today about her experience being a female in spaces where females aren't often expected and maybe sometimes not wanted. And also about breaking the mold to create a unique work environment free of office politics and geographical constraints. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you for having me. That was an excellent intro. I couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, yay. I'm glad. I'm always good to hear that Perfect. because I try to find what I can. And most, of the, most people are, are easy to find information on, but some people are more private. So that particular section is pretty professional. So the next piece that we usually dive into is I like to start by having you share some personal information about yourself um, as, as much or as little as you want, but it's basically just outside of the business world, who is Carrie? And this helps us get an idea of where your perspectives come from. So can you share you know, where you grew up, family dynamics, cultural background, hobbies, things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say a big part of my life is racing, which you touched on briefly. Um, my dad and I, excuse me, started going to the track at I think I was 15 years old the first time we attended and we went with our neighbors and my dad and I loved it. And our neighbors said, that was the worst thing we've ever been through. And <laughs> me and my dad were like, that was the coolest thing we'd ever been to. It's definitely one of those, you either love it or hate it things. Um, but definitely I spent so much time with my dad at the track and those memories you just can't get back. You you literally gain another family going to the racetrack and that has definitely shaped my life because you have to be really competitive with these people on the track. They're your enemy, but sometimes when you come into the pits, they have to be your friend because sometimes you need their help changing a tire or what setup should I use or things like that. So you really have to learn to just kind of leave all of that stuff on the track and just develop that friendship in the pits. And it's, it's a really interesting dynamic that has definitely shaped my life. Um, now, so my dad is 81 and he's still racing. 
Um, unfortunately, I'm not able to race this summer due to an injury, but both of my boys are racing and next year my daughter will be racing. So it, it's definitely a really good family atmosphere for my actual family and for my racing family. And it's taught me some life lessons just about, you know, that dynamic. And additionally, my favorite part is it spills over into some mechanical engineering and technology. You know, you have to know how to set the car up and different things like that. So it just pulls together a lot of different aspects of my life that I really love. And just so everybody can kind of grasp the, what am I trying to say? The space in time. So you said your dad is 81 and then you just posted something about your son was racing. Is he 11? He is 11, yes. 11, okay. <laughs> racing at the same track. Not the same division, but same yeah. track. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's a really that's a really cool thing to share. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, you should have seen us when we started. So I was 15, 16 in the pits, and my dad and I knew nothing about racing, but we loved it. So he bought a car for his best friend who had been racing before. And my dad and I were his pit crew, so I learned how to change tires and do all that stuff. The poor, his poor friend, I'm quite sure we were the slowest pit crew that you could have. <laughs> that's super so. cool. Though. So that, I mean, that's obviously, ha I mean, it still is a big piece of your life. So it, it helped shape who you are. And I love that you described the having to learn how to leave things where they belong. Now, you said leave them on the track, but. But that's the point of there's so many things in life where we have to do that, and especially in business. And that's a really cool thing to learn so early on. So I yeah. love that. <clears throat> I didn't really think about how it would impact me now, but it, it's so true. You have to kind of compartmentalize things, not let them spill over. For sure. So I want to confirm this. I don't know if this is true, but I saw this somewhere. Do you speak French? I do, although it's been a while. So Okay, I love it. Yeah, I was actually in an immersion program. So my first, second and third grade, the entire day was in French. And they just spoke to us in French all day long. So I literally learned cursive in French. So I, I still don't know the English alphabet in cursive. <laughs> I do it in French because they didn't have you know, French books about how to learn the English alphabet, and they just immersed us fully in it. So everything was was fully French, but it was pretty cool. By by second grade, I was completely fluent in it. And um, unfortunately, by high school, I mean, we did have to learn English and math and <laughs> other subjects. So by high school, it was only one class a day, so it's faded a bit, but I can understand it just to speak it. It's It's definitely rusty. That's super cool, though. And just so you, we are both in New Hampshire now, but is that where you learned it? Is that where you were in school? Um, actually, in Milton, Massachusetts, just south okay. of Boston. So I was born and raised in Boston. And then I had went to law school in New Hampshire and never left. So Okay. <laughs> That's actually really cool, though. I don't know that I've ever heard of a, an immersion program like that for so young. Yes, it was brand new. They had a lottery system. I was pretty lucky to get selected for it, actually. Um, yeah, very neat. Cool. And so what made you decide to go into law? Uh, definitely my dad. So he's also a patent attorney. 
And um, even back in the 80s and 90s, he could work from home pretty frequently, which was really unheard of then. And I just thought that was awesome, being able to work from anywhere. He was always learning about new technology. So basically just followed in his footsteps, um, got the engineering degree. Uh, our class of electrical engineering um, graduate degree was electrical and computer engineering. We had 120 kids in our class. There were only six that were female. So that was definitely an interesting experience. So I can relate to, um, you know, not, not being <laughs> in the law field. It's already pretty, there are not a lot of us, but in the tech law field, there, it is really, really male dominated. You wouldn't believe how many funny looks I get when people say it's your firm you're the owner? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so not the norm. And I'm, I'm trying to break through that so that people see, yeah, we can do it too. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I feel like, and this happens with a lot of things with me and I just process, but I just feel like it, it's 2022. Why are we still surprised that like females are capable of shit? Like what? <laughs> Why is this still, but it's yeah, so true. People it. are like, oh, so you work for your dad? No, it's my firm. <laughs> and I spend far too long having to explain it. And that's just it. Why Why is this surprising? I've been doing this for well over 15 years. I've been running my own firm for two years. Um, yeah, it's just why is this a surprise? I guess six females tells us all all we need to know about why it's probably still surprising to people. Six females in a class of, what did you say, hundred and. 120. And that was, that was in the, let's see, I graduated in 2005. I can't believe it's been that long already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard it's not all that different. Um, some of the majors still have other areas, but um, I really believe it's one of those things. If you don't see someone doing it, you really just don't picture yourself doing it necessarily. Uh, there were literally... I would say four to five of my classmates at WPI for engineering that literally changed the course of their career to do patent law like I'm doing just because they had never even heard of it before I got before beating me. Okay. So well, and that's something that we talk about a lot is representation. And I think you're mm -hmm. right that it does make a big difference. If you can't see someone who essentially, for lack of a better way of saying it, who looks like you. You know what I mean? In some in some form of of you, then it's hard to picture yourself doing it. Mm -hmm. um, was was there any other like when we're talking about the class? Was there other forms of diversity, or was I mean we're, we are in New Hampshire, so like <laughs> the, the population is the population. But did you find that it was mostly white males, or was there other forms of diversity within that uh, 120? It was actually relatively diverse. There were a lot of students, gosh, I'm going back into my memory here. Um, there were a lot of students from foreign countries, actually. WPI had a really good engineering program. So there were a lot of students, um, from Asia and China and other countries. So it was more diverse than you would have thought. And even of the six females, I think only two of us were white. So okay. it was actually more, probably more diverse than you would have expected in that standpoint. It's weird because I, I think I got to say this. I almost feel guilty saying I'm in the minority because <laughs> I'm a white female and I, you know, I had a 
good upbringing by all means, but when it comes to the field I'm in, it's definitely very male dominated. Um, I hate to use the term good old boys club, but that's really what it is. You know, you have to jump through all these crazy hoops to be accepted. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we're women. We sometimes, some of us have to take maternity leaves and it's almost frowned upon. Like you're doing this horrible thing. I literally had one of my former, one of my former bosses tell me, tell a client that I was on vacation when I was on maternity leave. And I never, I actually, I never got a maternity leave with any of my three kids, which is probably my biggest driving factor for my firm. Family time and family just always comes first. If anyone reaches out to me with an issue with their family, I'm like, unless there's a critical deadline that's due today, do what you need to do. We'll we'll regroup tomorrow. You know, anytime any of that happens, because one, they're not working well if there's something going on, but it's just... To we should be normalizing that people have families and people should get maternity leave and, you know, there's someone else to pick up the slack. That's why you have a firm. That's why you have a team of people, you know? This is so wild to me. Again, another thing that should not surprise me anymore, but still does, <laughs> because I remember you telling me about that. And I'm like, why? Because, like, does that somehow make you wrong if you had a child? Like, it, here's the flip side of that. In my mind, and I don't know how you think of it, and this is not discounting men at all. I like men quite a, quite a lot. But females, the capacity to do all of the things that are expected and maintain a career, you're actually stronger than most of the people that you were standing by, most likely, because you were able to do all of that. I just, it baffles me. You really had to be. Um, and that's kind of... Another downside to being a female in a male-dominated industry is I think you, scrappy isn't the right word, but you kind of have to have that, like, hard edge. And sometimes you, some of them go too far. One of the worst bosses I had was a female, and she was just, I think she had been so used to having to do that that she felt like she had to do it even more with me somehow. And... I mean, I've got a group of seven attorneys now. We're three females, which is pretty unheard of to have three out of seven um, in the patent space. But we just, we lift each other up and we help each other out. And it's just, I, I literally got a text message this morning from one of my attorneys that said, I just love how supportive your team is. And I was like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I love it. But it's I'm like, okay, it makes all the late nights and all the hard work worth it. But it's just, if I can give that, you know, environment to more people, I don't, I don't believe, we don't have to be backstabbing and, you know, all that stuff. So. Yeah. That, so my, my mindset with that is that I wish more people would understand it. There's this whole crabs in a bucket mentality, right? Like if you don't see yourself there, you feel like there's only one spot. So you can't let someone do better than yourself. You have to pull them down. So that you can be at the top and be recognized because it's like, um, it's a mindset of they're not being enough. And in my opinion, and this is kind of the core of the whole diversity, I, you know, behind diversity on fire is that like, we are actually better together. We don't have to be individually like, I'm better than you, you're better than me. Like we all just have different attributes that when we come together, we're better. Exactly. I have a similar mindset, but I think it's a little different. 
I think it meshes well together though, is the abundance mindset. I think some people just have that lack mindset of there's not enough for everyone. I need to keep my pile because then someone else is going to take, you know, something away from my pile. Or you can have that abundance mindset that we're all better together. There's enough for everyone. You know, everyone can play in the sandbox together. I'm not going to ruin your sand just by playing with my sand. <laughs> just add more sand. It's okay, everybody. <laughs> yes. It's definitely, definitely going to be okay if people start to realize this. Oh, my gosh. Was there ever a point when, like, in school or after you started your career where you're in these environments where maybe you don't always have the best environment for yourself personally that you kind of second-guessed the decision to go into law? Um, every single law firm I worked at, (laughs) honestly, uh, it reached a point where I thought it was me because I tried the smaller boutique firms. I tried the larger Boston firms. I had a five to seven hour a day commute for three to four days a week. I did that for two years. I tried a smaller firm in New Hampshire. I tried every size, shape, and color of firms. And it it was just, they all had that same lack mindset, micromanagement. It's my, this is my client. I don't want your help. I don't want you to help me with it. Um, these are, you know, just very individualized, which is ironic because the the term for a law firm is a partnership, which sounds like it would be a good thing. But it's really not. It's just a group of individual people who are kind of stuck together to support a crazy overhead for a fancy office. I've just, I've never understood it. Everywhere I've always worked, I've thought they have a managing partner, most law firms. And I'm not, some of this model works great for some people. I was miserable under it, you know, and you got to do what works for you. I've had, I can't tell you how many people tell me that what I'm doing won't work. And in two weeks, I'll be celebrating my two year anniversary. So and we've grown four times. So actually, let's let's move to this concept of if we can get specific about what, obviously, we the pregnancy thing, that's a big yeah. deal. Micromanagement. Are there any other specific examples of experiences that really you were just like, no, this is not going to work for me? Whether that be examples of sexism or ageism or just, I don't know, going back to crabs in a bucket. I would, I can think of a couple of instances where people who are superior to me, you know, quote superior, um, that I had literally had more experience than they did were just drilling me about the silliest little things to just literally make me feel bad about myself. And that was when I just realized this whole, it's just so broken. There's just this really toxic, thing that happens with partnerships naturally just by the way that they are. They're meant to help the people at top, at the top. And it's meant for the people below to just work, 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 work as hard as they can. And they will just find every little teeny tiny excuse. I remember one time it was something silly. Like I had used the word the instead of a. And so some minor, you know, typographical error, not a big deal. Um, it's okay to not be like 100% perfect. You can be like 99. And this partner literally had me in tears in his office just with, how could you make this mistake? And this is, you know, a simple, this, 
I'm really hard on myself. Most of us are. Most attorneys are. We hold ourselves to a really high standard. A simple, you made a mistake, this should be this, would have been plenty. But he literally went on for probably a good 30 minutes telling me how I was a horrible person. I'd sent the document to him on a Saturday. He assumed that I was at home when I sent it. So he went on and on about how I need to be in the office when I'm sending documents, because if I'm in the office, I would be paying more attention to what was going on and I wouldn't make these kind of mistakes. I was so upset and so beside myself that I couldn't even tell him. I was in the office. I came in the office on a Saturday to get that done so that I would have it done earlier than you requested it on Monday. And literally, I went into the one of the other partners' offices in tears, and I just said, I'm I, I'm better than this. I've been doing this for so long. I'm a good attorney. Okay, I made a little mistake. There's no need for someone to be, you know, reaming me out for 20 minutes. And it was just, I have way too many, way too many examples of that. It's, I don't know if it's sexism or if it's, you know, people's egos that feel like they need to put other people in place, but it's, it's been not fun. I can tell you that. (laughs) I know. I mean, I can, I don't know. I can just feel that through the, it makes me mad. And here's the thing, whatever his shit was for yelling at you was his shit, right? But that's not helpful. Right. Because whatever reason, whatever thing he needed to get off his chest, whatever ego he needed to boost to make himself feel better and dress you down. None of that has to do with you as a person. But again, it's not helpful to hear that because in those scenarios that you're in, you're still taking the hits, you know? And obviously that's that that right there. If there was only one example, that right there would be a perfect reason (laughs) to start your own law firm. Right. Yeah. When I want to jump into that real quick, but before we do, I want to take a little bit of a segue. Well, it's it's not a segue, but I've heard that the law community in New Hampshire, and I'm sure this is true for for many small areas, is tight-knit. That's just something that I've heard. I'm curious if that was your experience, and if it was, what are your thoughts on how that may or may not affect a client? So the law community is very small in New Hampshire, and I would even go so far as to say in New England, uh, you would be surprised who knows who. And I was told very early on to never burn a bridge because it is a small community. And that one bridge could be far more bridges than you realize. So you definitely have to tread very lightly. Uh, There are, I'm not sure of the exact number of active members in the New Hampshire bar, But it is a fraction of some other states, such as New York or Florida. You know, those larger states, there are so many attorneys that um, it's difficult for everyone to know everyone. But in New Hampshire, absolutely. Everybody knows everybody. And what's interesting, it can impact you personally, professionally, and also the clients that you get. So um, one example I'll give you is I worked for um, a small firm. I want to make sure I'm not being too specific so no one gets upset. I worked for a small firm for one of the lovely partners I worked for over my career. And I lasted there a long time. And eventually I had, I had just, the, the icing for the cake for me was the no maternity leaves. 
uh, with any of my children. And then he was able to bring his baby into work every day. That was interesting. So needless to say, I had reached a point where I didn't want to, uh, didn't want to work there anymore. And, um, yeah, that was definitely the icing on the cake for me. So when I finally did leave, so many people said, wow, how did you last so long? And things like, geez, he has a really bad reputation in the community. And I didn't think about, I knew he was a little off the handle, but like, I didn't really think much about it. I didn't think about how me tolerating working like with someone like that for so long would make me look bad. And I had never thought about that. So I was thankful that I didn't stay in that situation. You know, we, we had some good clients. He was a great patent attorney. He had some personal issues. He let his personal life spill over a little too much into his professional life, which is why I'm a stickler for keeping them separate. Um, great patent attorney, but just, it was crazy to me how that could impact, you know, my ability to get clients, what the rest of the legal community in the small state of New Hampshire thought of me, things like that. So um, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me in terms of, wow, this is really a small, <laughs> small community. Yeah. And I imagine in that, well, in the space that you're in, in terms of law, the patent attorney, it might affect the client a little bit less. But if you, th- if I'm thinking like how a tight-knit community could potentially affect a criminal type of a situation for the on the clients, I'm thinking specifically on the client side. Because if you have a tight-knit community of people that are working together, I can just picture those lines being blurred and perhaps deals being made that aren't necessarily. I'm going off the rails here, so I'll reel myself in because um, I'm making assumptions. But it's just something that I, I I think about. When we talk about any sort of organization that's tight-knit, if you're supposed to be representing the client, I do think it becomes harder if you have too many connections um, within an organization. Have you heard about the documentary about the corruption in the courts of New Hampshire? Oh, docu- I, I know that there's, um, I know, okay, here's what I do know. I do know that New Hampshire has apparently never had an overturned conviction. And I recently went, I listened to, it was actually a whole podcast episode on someone that has been convicted. And when you go through how everything went down, it's wild that that happened. And it was, that's how I was hearing that it's such a small community and that nothing has been overturned. And I'm like, so basically because of these issues, this innocent person has been in jail for 20 something years. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, no justice system is perfect, but I hadn't really thought about how, you know, everyone is close knit. So sometimes maybe you let something slide or something happens or, you know. Yeah, I have not been able to find the documentary. Supposedly, there was a documentary created about the corruption in the courts of New Hampshire, but they've done a really good job of burying it. Ooh, okay. (laughs) My mission. I'm going to find this. I'm probably going to get disbarred when this podcast airs. No, I... (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, actually, in a just system, you should be able to speak your mind. You didn't use any specific names. Um, Okay, let's reel it back in talk about um, virtual IP law. So obviously, there are some specific reasons why you wanted to start your own company. Um, But also, you kind of did it in a really cool way because you started it 
not only in light of the things that you didn't want to repeat within a law firm, but you also made it more accessible because you're virtual. So you're nation, you can be nationwide, you can help clients nationwide, and you can also work with and hire attorneys nationwide. So tell us a little bit about how that came to fruition. Uh, yeah. So it is definitely a conglomerate of the anti-traditional law firm slash every bad place I've ever worked, <laughs> um, which has been really nice and really rewarding. But the other piece has been being virtual, being fully accessible. So I do have two aging parents. My mom uh, was diagnosed with dementia about six years ago. So I spend a lot of time helping my dad out with her and they go down to Florida in the winter. So I typically go down there every two to three weeks. Most law firms that I worked at did not were not set up for that to happen. They wanted you in the office and maybe working from home one or two days a week, but they really just weren't set up for it. I always had really old, ancient equipment that didn't work well. I repeatedly requested, I will literally buy the laptop myself. Just please, this is the slowest machine I've ever had <laughs> in my life. Can I please have that? Nope. So we, uh, on this model, we have literally no home space. I've had a couple of people ask to meet me in my office and I have to get creative. Um, we do have a co-working space, uh, Spark Offices in Manchester, which is our home base. They do our mail management for us. If we need a conference room to use, they have a private office that I have one day a week, which is all for a fraction of the cost of a traditional, you know, space. So I'm able to onboard people really easily. I started with uh, October 1st, 2020. We opened our doors with myself, my dad, and our office manager. So three people. And we've grown to a team of, I believe, 13. I would have to actually double check that. Um, <laughs> we've had some pretty rapid growth. And and that's been in you know just under two years. And... I started first by bringing on um, one of my very good friends from that I met while I was in law school, Shelly Temple. She was in-house counsel at a big company for over 10 years, and she just got burnt out working the long hours. They would never let her leave early on a Friday. No offense to the big company, but... And so she just got burnt out, and she literally took an 18-month sabbatical and went hiking. And I reached out toward towards the end of it. And I said, Shelly, what are you doing when you come back? And, you know, we still joke about it because I only had one case to give her. I, you know, it was just enough to keep my biz myself busy at that time. But I knew that my model could sustain growth because of the way I had it set up. And so she said, okay, but I don't really want to work a whole lot. And I said, great, because I don't have a whole lot of work to give you right now. <laughs> But you have some amazing connections. You've been in this patent space. I literally think all you have to do is announce on LinkedIn that you've landed and people will be coming out of the woodwork to work with you. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so she landed a, a, a good client for her. They keep her busy. She works as little or as much as she wants. Some months she works practically nothing. Some months she works 40 to 50 hours a week. She's actually on a four-month excursion in her camper van right now, working in libraries across the United States. 
And so it was so easy and so great bringing her on board that I thought, all right, well, let's see what happens. My first, um, my first job posting, I got 50 applicants, hired two. The second one, I got 40 applicants, hired two more, had two or three more, two more reach out to me just on their own that wanted to get hired. And I think that's how we're up to seven and one patent agent. It's pretty wild. So first of all, yeah, mind blowing, super cool. But I feel like it's really important to emphasize. So I'm going to say this to preface it, because of course, nobody knows this, but you and I um, know each other through business networking. And so there is a, a lot of conversation surrounding the great resignation, great reshuffling, whatever you want to call it, right? People changing jobs. And they're demanding different things because, you know, they may not have had the experiences that you had that were so super negative. But I think the pause that we all had to take in 2020 made people realize how finite our time can be. And we started saying, no, like, I'm not going to continue to put up with this. So taking that and bleeding into the model that you've created for people it's like crazy because when you think about all these employers that are trying to find people to hire and you just created the model that everyone wants. So it's like, we'll do it this way and you can get 50 applicants per posting. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't understand why more people aren't doing it. I don't know if it's a control thing or if they just can't figure it out logistically. I'm willing to share my model with anyone that wants to hear it because there is a great resignation. When I was in law school, the hourly, so most law firms, you have a set number of hours you have to make each year, 1,500, 2,000, 2,500, which figures out to roughly 40 or 50. When I was in law school, or you know, when I graduated a little over 10 years ago, um, almost 15 years now, it was 2,000 hours a year was your requirement to get a, you know, nice six-figure salary, just roughly 40 billable hours a week. There's a lot of non-billable stuff you have to do that goes along with being an attorney, not all emails, meetings, you know, all that stuff. So to bill 40 hours, you're probably looking at 50 to 60 hours a week, which is not crazy, but that's doable. Most law firms now, especially some of the bigger ones in California, have a 3,000 a year our requirement. And they're playing, paying a pretty decent salary, but you're talking close to 60 billable hours a week. I mean, you're, you're putting in 70 or 80 hours to, to hit those kind of marks. And that's just, and that's every week, week in and week out on top of meetings and client meetings and lunches and everything else. And it's just, it's not sustainable. And I'm, working as fast as I can to hire as many people as I can because people are literally just leaving the legal field. They're like, I'll just post on YouTube or write blogs or, I mean, it's it's literally terrifying. I'm like, the number of patent attorneys are already going down because there's just not as many of them. And the number of tech startups and new technologies coming out are just skyrocketing which is why it's crazy to me that anyone in this space thinks we even have competition. There is more work to go out there after and more people that need our help that don't even know it. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but just, it's just crazy to me that people are putting these requirements on people 
to my knowledge, I'm the only law firm that has no minimum hourly requirement for people. That's amazing. I'm hoping it's sustainable (laughs) so far. You're going to kick ass. Well, people have to want to work a little, right? I mean, they can't take forever off. That's that's what I'm kind of banking on is they've at least got to work a little. Well, so they, they have to work to get paid, right? Right, right. So I think the trade-off, and maybe you're right, maybe what it is 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 this distrust or or need for control because of the distrust. But the thing is, is it's it's just a shift in mindset. People want to work to live, not live to work. And it's just a shifting of that. I mean, I feel like everybody still wants to make money though. I don't know that it's a – because there has been this commentary of like nobody wants to work anymore. I actually don't think that's what it is at all. They don't want to work as hard and they want to work when and where they want to work. That's that's what I think it is. They want to work on their own terms. If I want to work two in the morning till noon, let me do that. If I want to work noon till eight at night, let me do that. If I don't want to work at all this week because I'm having a bad week, let me do that. You know, I just think there needs to be more of that. And my, my model incentivizes people to do that. So if you work on someone, if you work on someone else's case, so let's say it's my client and I give it to someone else, I still get a piece of that pie. So, or if someone else has me do work on it, they still get a piece of the work that I do. Whereas most firms, they don't, it's actually disincentivizing to work together under most models. And they kind of, it's one of those, we do it this way because we've always done it this way. You know, there's, they have to bill a certain amount to sustain you having a seat at the firm because you, you know, you have malpractice insurance and you have an office and all that stuff. So they need to bill a certain amount. So there's that amount they need you to bill. So they back their way into, okay, here's how many hours we need you to work to sustain, you know, having you on board. And then because they have to work those crazy hours, your malpractice insurance is so high. So it's like a lose, lose, lose. <laughs> so my model is let's bring that overhead way down from 30% to like 10. Let's take that extra 20% that we used to be putting into the building, the physical space, rent and all that electricity and all that stuff. And let's give, let's give half of that back to the employees. And the other half back to the clients. And it's not that hard. (laughs) And it's a win-win-win because instead of having these requirements, now it's just everyone is expected to bring in their own work. And there's when there's an abundance of work, there's a team to get it done. And you just get a percentage of whatever you bill. So I don't have to worry about oh my gosh, how much work did I bring in for all these people? You know, if they aren't doing the work, then they're not getting paid and which is not sustainable, but I don't, I don't have an office I'm paying for, for them or anything like that. So this has come up in a lot of conversations recently, people's commitment to staying tied to something that has always been or, or tied to something that is a long time ago. And I think there's that coupled with the, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But the problem is we we really just ignore the broken things because there's a lot broke that could be fixed and that's what you're doing. So I love it. I think it's fantastic. 
Yes. And you have to constantly, constantly be looking for ways to improve. If you're just satisfied with the way things are, you're not going to have a sustainable model. You, you con, I am constantly looking for ways to improve and I'm constantly looking for feedback. I think a lot of people don't want to hear that they're doing something wrong. If I'm doing something wrong, I want my team to tell me and I tell them that all the time. If you think I'm doing something stupid, tell me. You know, what, when have you ever heard that from your boss? I've never heard it. <laughs> it's too bad. So much easier to have a, like, a, a legitimate, just cool conversation as opposed to, like, freaking out on someone because they put A instead of the. Like, <laughs> this, this is solvable, people. This is solvable. <laughs> oh, my God. It's sad, though, because that is the mentality that a lot of people have. And I know we're talking a lot about, you know, business and law right now, but I do think the concepts that we're talking about do apply to a lot of things. There's there's an adaptation that's needed in every aspect of life. And I don't I don't know. I'm stubborn, but I'm not that stubborn. It's I'm stubborn, which is probably a large part of how I've got to this point because I refuse to give up. But I'm not, I'm not unwilling to change. I think you have to be willing to change and willing to, you know, modify and just not do something because you've always done it that way. Um, Kind of think outside the box. Do you feel like there's any aspect of your career path that you would change? I would have started my own firm years sooner. Okay. I wish I had done that. But no, I think, I think I learned... You know, every piece I think was a stepping stone to get me to where I need to be. And I think I learned a lot from it. Um, The one, it's not a downside, but the one thing I didn't really anticipate, you mentioned, you know, the accessibility of being virtual. It is true. And some people think we're less accessible because we're virtual, um, but we're actually more accessible And sometimes I am, in fact, texting my employees from very early in the morning until very late at night. And with a big sigh, I kind of laugh at, well, I wanted to be more accessible. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's always tweaks that you can make. (laughs) There's always tweaks that you can make. All right. Are you ready for the final three questions? Oh, yes. Okay. So this one is kind of put you on the spot, but from your own perspective, what is something, what is one thing that you would share with anyone listening, specifically females, that might help them push through situations of discomfort and encourage them to create their own success? Good question. I would say don't be afraid to create your own path. I had so many people tell me, you can't pay your employees that percentage. You can't have a virtual firm you can't be owner, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's great. They couldn't figure out how to make that work. They, it didn't work for them. They weren't built for that situation. Don't let someone else telling you that you can't do something a particular way stop you from doing it. If you still think you can do it, then do it. Don't let them, you know, stop you from it. I love that. Stop letting, stop trying to make people have you fit into their box create your own. You are your own. I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. What are five words you would use to describe Carrie? Caring, compassionate, intelligent, stubborn, (laughs) uh, and fun. Okay. Love it. Love it. 
And then where can everyone go to connect with you to um, use your services? Certainly uh, reach out with questions, keep in touch, all those fun things. Yes, please connect with me on LinkedIn um, and on our website, virtualipllc.com. We have a link on there to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. Cool. And actually, just because this is a little bit different than our normal, can you give everybody a little bit of who would be good for you? Because I think there's a lot of people listening. They're like, well, what is IP law? Why would I need a consultation? But actually, with the burgeoning tech, like you said, and new businesses that have sprung in the last couple of years, a lot of people probably need you. Yes. I would say anyone that is developing a new, I hate to use the word invention, but let's say a new app or a new software platform, there's a ton going on with AI right now. So if you have an idea coming up, the key trigger that you want to talk with someone, even if it's not me, just reach out to any patent attorney before you publicly disclose your idea, because there are a lot of things that can happen. So I would say anyone in the tech space that is getting ready to either do a pitch or maybe post something on YouTube or things like that, before you do that, reach out to see if there's anything that you should be thinking about or if this starts any clock for you. Because, you know, you definitely want to protect that, whether it's with a patent or a trademark or copyright or, you know, just just chat with someone to see what you what your options are. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited we finally got to have this chat. Yes, thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thank you, as always, for listening in today. As part of our journey, I hope this helped you grow with us and Carrie's story has been inspiring to you. What Carrie said, her advice is don't let anyone tell you what you are capable of. You don't fit in their box, baby. You fit in yours. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions that we shared today, they are our own. We encourage you to do your own research, come to your own fact-based conclusions. As always, please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. Check the show notes for links on how to connect with Carrie. Connect with her to keep up with what she's doing, but also if you can use her services, which I'm going to guess a lot more people than normal could. If you've got an idea, she's your girl. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Be sure to share this conversation and our show with others so more people can join in these important conversations. And as always, until next time, don't forget to check your bias and keep that conversation going. Thank you.